Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. We help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's get into today's episode. So we got our first factor meals and I am pumped to tell you about them. First off, we absolutely loved them. Delicious chef's kiss for the chef crafted dietitian approved meals that come straight to your door. I can definitely see how when deadlines are out of control or you're in a super busy season, how factor meals can lighten your load while still giving you options like veggie, vegan, and even low calorie Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can even pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup. Head to factormeals.com slash peptalk50 and use code peptalk50 to get 50% off. That's code peptalk50 at factormeals.com slash peptalk50 to get 50% off. Do you ever just wish that someone would take a sincere interest in what's going on inside of you? Your thoughts, your feelings. Do you ever just wish somebody would really give you the time and space to articulate all of that stuff, everything? about who you are and what you're about and what you struggle with and what you believe and what you feel and what it's like to experience life through your lens. Do you ever just wish anyone cared enough (laughs) to give you that time and space? I can almost certainly say that you do, not just because you're a human, and I think it's definitely a human desire to be known, but I think for artists, that's not just a desire. It's more like a desperation. It's like, please, somebody. And I kind of wonder if like maybe an artist isn't born when they discover they have some talent or they're into creative stuff, but maybe they're born when as a kid, they just don't feel like they fully connected with anybody. They just don't feel completely understood. And I think we kind of feel like this whole being known thing. I feel like in our culture, we, we, we think of that as somehow gross because of the ways that it gets perverted as this obsession with fame and glory. But underneath all of that, I think is a true, powerful, pure desire to be known and to connect with others. And I think we should really let that fuel our creativity. You know, it's, it's a matter of fact that if babies fail to connect with a nurturer, that they can actually not survive. It's called a failure to thrive. And I feel like the ones that make it through childhood without fully connecting, we should call that failure to thrive an artist. <laughs> I feel like growing up, you know, I have ADHD 
And uh, I talk about it almost every single episode of the podcast because it's a huge part of what it means to be me and what my experiences are and what my my the lens I see the world is. And as a kid with ADHD, I feel like when I would go to explain and articulate what I was excited about, what little Andy really cared about or what he was hurting with, and he would go to try to explain it to people, he would take all these tangents and side roads and talk backwards and, you know, save the punchline for way, way after the fact. And I'd be telling these people that I wanted to understand me all of this stuff and I could just see their eyes glaze over and just be like, yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, well, yeah, we get it, cool, cool. And I'm like, no, you don't get it, man. And so I had to learn these fancy ways of telling my story and communicate through pictures and and, and words and, and art because I needed to connect. And early on in my creative career, I had this just insane desperation for people to anyone to know who I was. And I was just emailing blogs and magazines and and other artists and be like, please pass me the megaphone. And I think I try to imagine what it would have been like if someone in that time would have actually passed me their platform and passed me their megaphone and be like, okay, what's your name, Andy? Okay, go ahead. Tell everybody who who you are. (laughs) What is that? I'm I'm whimsical. I'm I'm mysterious. I'm I'm abstract and esoteric. And they'd be like, okay, that's it's a bit vague, uh, but, uh, you, you know, wh- what's your work about? I defy all labels. I contain multitudes. I'm a bag of contradictions. And they'd, they'd say, right. Hmm, I, I, I still don't think they're getting it. Uh, well, you know, what What kind of medium do you work in? My work is a multiverse of mediums. Okay. Uh, well, who's it for? Everyone. Well, it can't be for everyone. Animals, fungi, multicellular, singular cellular organisms. Look, it, it can't be for everybody. It's got to be some people you don't, you don't make work for. Okay, bugs. Bugs? Yeah, bugs. I hate bugs. Okay, okay. give it up for Andy, the esoteric, mysterious, whimsical, abstract artist who we now know makes everything for everyone besides bugs. Yeah, give it, everybody knows you. They really know you now. Does that sound familiar? Does that strike a chord with you? Do you feel that? I get it. It is hard to develop an identity to really identify with anything in such a way that you can articulate it. That is a struggle. And we have a platform, we have a megaphone with this podcast and we get tons of guest submissions and and I respect the hustle of that. We still submit to other shows and and I'm all for you. Give it a shot, get, get, try to get your word, the word out there about who you are any way that you can. But sometimes I see these uh, people that are in the really early stages of developing and I think I want to say, like, you don't need a megaphone. The obstacle in between you being unknown and being known isn't a lack of a platform. If you had a platform, you still couldn't tell the world who you are because the real problem is that you don't know who you are. And when I was in 
that place, and I still struggle with this. I remember early on getting diagnosed with ADHD and just feeling like I can't tell anybody that I'm ADHD. ADHD is not what people think it is. I'll just be more misunderstood than I am now. I can't call myself spiritual because anything you mean by spiritual is not what I am. You're thinking about it all wrong. I can't identify that way. I can't even call myself a lover of pizza anymore because I don't gorge myself on pizza. I don't eat a whole pie in one setting anymore. Like, I, I, who, who am I to call myself Andy J. Pizza? All of these categories, all these ways of, of building an identity, none of them feel like a perfect fit. And so we just reject them outright and say, we are nothing. <laughs> and, and I want to encourage you in this episode, I want to give you five things that you can do to find a solid foundation to build your creative identity so that when your number is called and they pass that megaphone to you, you can tell the world who you are through your words and through your work and be known. Let's go. Okay. So the first thing that you've got to do is you got to take an open plan approach to owning your identity. And I'm going to explain what I mean by that. But, you know, I don't want you, when you start looking for ways of identity development, instead of just looking for a perfect fit, not finding it, and then just giving up the hunt full stop, I want you to not suppress the feeling that these identities and in, in these categories and these labels aren't a perfect fit. That's actually a really good impulse. It's very true. None of them are a perfect fit, but I don't want that to stop the hunt. And this hunt for an identity, for finding who you are, I think it's a little bit like house hunting. And unfortunately, I know a lot about house hunting. I'm a homeowner. Uh, unfortunately, I mean, I know it's a privilege and I'm very grateful for that, but I freaking hate owning a home in so many ways. I never even wanted to own a body. I wish I did. I actually wish that I could be a floating spirit orb. Spirit orbs don't have to worry about a skincare routine. They don't, they don't have to worry about flossing. They don't have to worry about, don't forget to get the band-aids before you at the grocery store because you can't cut in a spirit orb. And, I've had, and that's why I want to be a floating spirit orb, but I am not a floating spirit orb. I have a body and that body needs an even bigger structure uh, to, to be safe and, and to survive. And it's called a house. And so I own a house and, and I had to hunt for this house and, and, and it wasn't a perfect house. You know, when we were looking for houses, I remember we got to the house that we're in now when we were checking it out. And they're like, oh, and this way is to the master bedroom and went into that bedroom. And the let me tell you what I saw, the, the monstrosity, the, the horror that was on the wall. The window had been turned into, the window was the hole in a giant O. 
a logo of an O. And that O is the logo for OSU, Ohio State football. <laughs> and I it just repulsed me. I hate sports. And I just thought, I can't freaking live with a house, with a room that has an O, a giant sports logo on the wall. And it was almost a deal breaker. But you and I both know that is completely ridiculous. Why? Because we were buying the house. You know, when you're a renter and you're looking for a house, Things like that can actually get in the way. You're actually looking for a perfect fit because when you rent things, you don't get to change anything. You don't have that kind of agency. You need to look for something that you can live with. But when you're going to own a space, you don't think, well, it's not a perfect fit. You think, is this something that I can work with? Is this space, does it have a foundation that I can build on? That's what you look for when you're going to own something. And I think that growing up, all of us, we rent our identities. We rent from our communities and from our parents, the beliefs and norms and ideas, and we're a renter. And then when we go to make the leap from renting an identity to owning an identity, it's really, really messy. And that gap of a mindset is so hard to shift. It's so hard to realize that when you're looking at uh, belief systems, when you're looking at tastes and preferences and all forms of ways of identifying yourself and, and finding your identity, you don't have to find a perfect fit. You're looking for something with a solid foundation. For me personally, you know, ADHD, it's not what people think it is. But that doesn't mean I don't identify that way. It just means, like my master bedroom, it just needs a fresh coat of paint. You know, spirituality, it, the ways that it's been handled in the past through religion, it's, it's too constricting for me. The boundaries, they're just, the, the, the way they were given to me, they were just too claustrophobic. But what I realized was those weren't load-bearing walls. Those weren't structural. We could open that bad baby up and let it breathe. <laughs> Take an open plan approach to spirituality. That's the way I do it. I can't eat 3,000 square feet of pizza anymore, but that doesn't mean I don't love pizza. The 1,600 square feet of pizza that I consume is just, I just am so careful about making sure it's just goat cheese, a little arugula. You know how I do it. Boom. I take my pizza very seriously. Just because I don't eat three pies in one setting doesn't make me a non-pizza connoisseur. And so when you go to, to find these pieces that you want to snowball into who you are, I want you to take some advice. I want you to take some of the, the, the spiritual lens of one of the greatest spiritual leaders of our generation. I'm talking about Joanna Gaines. Do you, do you know Joanna Gaines? She is the uh, host of, I think it's HGTV uh, show Fixer Upper. 
And when Joanna Gaines goes into a house, she doesn't look for a perfect fit. She's looking at something I can work with. Am I saying that, you know, the Gaines obsession with open plans is somehow intricately connected to uh, the ways that we are feeling oppressed and claustrophobic by the very tight structures and labels that we've been given in this generation and that this open plan is somehow a manifestation of how we need open plan identities? No, that would be insane. But yes, I am saying that. And so what I want you to do is when you go to own these different things and people look at you and they're like, yo, uh, I, I, you said you were an artist. I didn't think an artist would like that. I didn't think an artist could do that. I didn't know an artist could be that. You say, they can now, Chip, teach this fool a lesson. That's Ch Chip is Joanna's husband, if you don't, <laughs> if you don't know. But open that thing up. Don't get into a renter's mindset about identity. Make that thing your own. Don't look for, can I co-sign every single thing about this label and every single thing about this? You know, for me, I own, uh, my gender identity is a man. And, you know, I, because of things like toxic masculinity, my whole life, I've kind of struggled with that label. As I've grown up, I've realized like, no, I'm proud to be a man. And for me, this is what a man is all about. A man can like color. I love color. I don't like the, the kind of fingernails look kind of gross. So sometimes I paint mine with a color that I like and I choose whatever color I want because I'm a man and I'm owning what a man is. I'm a man. I didn't know that's what this <laughs> episode was going to bring out of me, but it is. And so take an open plan approach to your identity. Okay, number two is embrace that identity is a noun. Identity is a noun. A house is a thing. Uh, a noun is a person, place, or thing. A house is a thing. It's tangible. You can hold it. And I can just think back to Andy with the megaphone. You know, all he's talking about are adjectives. Whimsical, mysterious, esoteric, abstract. Those describe a thing. Those aren't things. And they're very hard to wrap our hands around. Artists freaking love adjectives, myself included. It took me forever to find some nouns, to find some things that I was comfortable enough that I felt like I can live with these. I can work with these things. But if you don't give people something to actually hold. You can't hold whimsical. You can't hold mysterious. You can't even wrap your hands around abstract. That's the nature of that thing. Give them some things to hold. You know, a lot of people don't realize that branding isn't about adjectives. I think we think about like branding as like descriptors of the thing. But what a lot of br uh, branding experts believe is that branding is about positive associations associating this thing with that thing, this noun with that noun, your brand with other nouns. And for me personally, it's things like dreams, pizza, ADHD, 
story, hero's journey, creative careers, all a bunch of nouns. And, and associating, making deep connections and ties with those things changed my creative career in ways that I never expected it to. So we just brought out a book on dreams called Dream Machine. And, you know, that job came into my inbox and they thought of me because I've done a bunch of personal projects on dreams. I am genuinely obsessed with dreams. I have weird dreams all the time. Uh, I, the other night I had a dream that um, I was at a party and Taylor Swift was there and she was pregnant, which is weird because it's hard to imagine Taylor Swift pregnant in a way. And she was bragging about not having morning sickness, which I thought – Okay, that seems, seems about right. Uh, these are the kinds of things. I have dreams every single night. Freaking love dreams. That's why years ago, 2014, I pitched and published a dream journal called Strange Dreams with Chronicle Books. And so because I had identified with that thing, there was a kids book editor at Chronicle Books that knew about that dream journal. And when she got a manuscript about dreams, I was the first person she thought of. If you associate yourself with a thing, you will be top of mind when opportunities around that thing come up. They will, they will associate you with them. Now, this episode, we announced that I am bringing out a book called A Pizza With Everything on it. It comes out uh, just in a few weeks. You can pre-order your copies right now. Um, I'm so, I've never been more proud of a creative project and, uh, you know, it's about pizza. Okay. Well, there's no topic that is closer to my heart. Literally. I've probably got pizza in my heart. It's a, it's, you know, that's something I'm trying to, I'm, I'm running every other day to try to solve that. But, um, I, uh, the thing about pizza is we pitched this book, so it wasn't a top of mind thing, but I do think there was a trust element is that when you build up those positive associations with authenticity and, and intention over time, you know, I call myself Andy J Pizza. There's nothing more authentic about that. I am an authority in pizza just by the nature of saying, I am pizza, right? That's who I am. And I think that's part of why we sold the book. So it builds trust when you make these associations, you know, owning this identity of being ADHD. Like there's complications around it. I always feel like oh, I want to explain every single nuance of that, but I'm also proud to be ADHD. And, you know, one of the things that that's really helpful for is it's a thing that people can talk about. It's hard to talk about things that aren't things. You know what I mean? And so if you give them these things, they will be able to spread word about what you do with word of mouth, which is the primary way that you're going to build your creative practice. And, you know, I've heard this phrase, like people talk about books they can talk about. If they're easy to talk about, people will talk about them. You've got to give them some words, some things to talk about. And so here's my prompt for you. I want you to come up with three sentences that are I am a I am a, I am a pizza lover. I am a dreamer. I am a person with ADHD. ADHD is a disorder. It's a thing. And then if you need to get kind of started, go do it for some of your heroes. Jim Henson was a puppeteer. Jim Henson was a futurist. You know, Morgan Harper Nichols is a poet. 
Morgan Harper Nichols is a mystic. Morgan Harper Nichols is a person on the autistic spectrum. Hank Green is a science nerd, a fiction writer, a YouTuber. Lisa Congdon is a poster designer, a member of the LGBTQ community, an activist, an optimist. Go try it. You will be able to name three nouns for your favorite artists, but can you name three nouns that you associate with your practice? And even more importantly, have you put in the time to create those brand associations so that your fans can easily associate you with three nouns? Number three, mash it up and make it your own. You know, I can feel this complaint, you know, this, that me with the megaphone. I defy labels. I contain multitudes. I'm a bag of contradictions. Own the contradictions. You're an identity is a contradiction. The only thing that these pieces have in common is you. That's who you are. You're the part of the Venn diagram between all of these different pieces. You know, Sophie and I, we, our tastes come together in our house, our home. It, it, it's like, it's, it's hippie modern. Those are contradictory, folky modern. Those are contradictory. Folky is maximal. It's more, it's trinkets, it's, it's stuff, it's collections, it's clutter, it's color. Modern, mid-century modern is, you know, white space, minimal. But we've tried to find where's the Venn diagram of those two things. That's us. You want to find these places that only exist within you. That's what makes you in unique. That's what makes you interesting. Conflict doesn't repel us. It actually makes us lean in. That's why all stories have a conflict. I remember watching movies growing up and being like, what, this movie has a villain in it? What the heck? Every single movie? Like, I was kind of frustrated. I was like, why does every, why does something bad always have to happen to the character? And it's because no conflict is boring. You know, when I, if I meet somebody and they're like, hi, I'm Mormon. I'm like, okay, it's a weird thing to lead with, but I'm like, all right, you know, I, I get it. Or if they say, I'm pothead. My whole identity is around pot. I'm like, okay, yeah, I get it. I've heard that before. You don't even need to tell me anything. But if you say I'm a Mormon pothead, then I'm like, okay, what? How does, how does that make any sense? Tell me how that contradiction makes any sense. I love meeting people that have these interesting combinations because conflict doesn't repel us. It interests us. Lean into it. I've talked about on this uh, show before, like I I'm not necessarily a Joe Rogan fan, but he is a, uh, he's someone who has a humongous creative practice. And I think part of it is his identity is so clearly defined with these different tent poles. And two of them are weed and hunters. Like there are tons of people that are potheads that freaking hate hunters. There are tons of hunters that hate potheads. Did you ever wonder if like Joe Rogan like was like, I don't know if I can talk about both of these things. I guarantee it at some point early in his creative career, he would wrestle with that kind of thing. But if you want to be interesting, if you want to be something that can, people can 
talk about and, and, and identify with, you're going to have to set up some of those tent poles. Now, I don't think they can be things that are diametrically opposed, like I'm a Republican and I'm a Democrat. Die hard, both of them. Okay, that doesn't work. But other than that, interesting conflicts or seeming contradictions are really, really interesting. And so embrace them. What in the heck does weed and hunting have in common? Joe Rogan, that's what they have in common. That's the only thing that they need to have in common. And as long as they're not diametrically opposed, you'll get people from both camps and they'll learn about and they'll maybe appreciate and maybe they they won't love every part of everything that you do. But don't let that stop you. Don't let the contradiction stop you from owning your categories. Embrace nouns as a foundation. This isn't everything. It's not the entirety of your uh, whole practice and identity. You don't need to be pigeonholed and completely defined by these nouns. They're just a solid foundation to build on. You know, this is Andy with the megaphone. My work is a multiverse of mediums. It defies mediums. It defies genre. But I feel like this is a major, major problem. When you refuse to pick a few lanes, you end up not being able to really build a solid foundation anywhere. And I have a buddy of mine who is a Christian musician. And I just found like in conversations around creative career that he would often kind of just self-deprecate or or downplay his own personal experiences uh, and breakthroughs and, and strategies because I think that there was just this understanding that because he is a uh, a fish in the pond of Christian music, which is a smaller pond, that somehow his experiences are invalid. And at first, you know, I think I probably bought that lie and bought that like, oh, yeah, I guess it doesn't apply. You're in your little own little world. But then I realized like every creative that's thriving that I can think of started by building on a foundation that was, you know, a small and defined like Christian music, you know. They're, they're not just a musician. They're not just an indie musician. They're part of the shoegaze movement of indie musicians. They're not just in country music. They're country rap-influenced uh, music. You know, there's this big movement in uh, emo. Like emo's having a revival. And uh, one of my favorite new emo bands is called Oso Oso. And he calls it and not just emo, but enlightened emo. Because emo has a lot of like toxic masculinity from its early days. And there's some new bands that are trying to be more progressive and, and have a wider lens and, and be more healthy and less toxic. Every single creative I can think of that has had a consistent creative practice that has things about their practice that aren't just winning the lottery, but are actually things that you can learn from to earn a paycheck have started with a firm, well-defined foundation. 
And, and so don't shy away from it just because it's not everything. You, you will eventually want to defy and, 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 and at some point you might want to extend the foundation. You might want to put a sunroom on the back of this thing. That's totally fine, but you got to start somewhere. And I think back to this idea of Kevin Kelly's A Thousand True Fans. We, it's a core value of this show to talk about don't try to build your practice by appealing to everybody and getting millions of fans. Kevin Kelly would say you only need a thousand people, thousand true fans, and a true fan is someone who will give you $100 a year. That's $100,000 salary. That's good enough for anybody. But – that is a core value, but part of me is like, yeah, but that's not the end. That's just the means. Because when you find, when you pick a place to set up shop and you really clearly define that and you tell people this is what we are and this is who we are for and you deeply, deeply connect in a very specific way with a thousand people, they don't just become true fans. They become true brand ambassadors. You know, we have on the show, like I'm an illustrator, but this show, we have listeners all over the creative world and all different creative parts of uh, different industries. And not only that, but I get messages all the time from people that are therapists and scientists and data analysts. And, and they say, I'm not even a creative, but I love your show. And inevitably they say, I got into your show because I have a creative friend who never shut up about your show and kept telling me that even though I wasn't a creative, that I would like it. And so we set up this foundation and we're not going to probably ever leave it. Like creative careers, that Venn diagram, that's what we're all about. But it doesn't mean that you have to be building a creative career to enjoy or get something from this show or be a fan. And so don't be afraid to define those categories. Don't be afraid to pick the small pond where you can thrive. It doesn't have to be the end, it can be the means. All right, last one. Don't be afraid to add some character flourishes. Okay, this is me with the megaphone. My work is for everyone. Well, that's the quickest way to make it for no one. You know, my brother just bought a house and we're walking through the neighborhood and it's a new pop-up neighborhood. These are all new houses. And usually I really don't like that vibe because, you know, for the past couple decades, a pop-up neighborhood has meant cookie cutter houses that are all the same. They're all, none of them, we don't want to put any character flourishes on any of these houses because we don't want to alienate anyone. We want to make mass-produced, universal houses that nobody has any problem with. But of course, if nobody has any problem with any of them, nobody actually likes any of them. But this neighborhood, this new neighborhood, they are doing things differently. And actually, I feel like it's probably... Um, I felt like it's probably a lot of influence by Joanna Gaines actually. And I'm not, I'm not mad about it because I think it's an improvement to this way of building houses. And I'm walking through and he tells me, cause I'm like, man, this feels so different. What's going on here? And he's like, here's the only rule for building the, the primary rule for building a house in this neighborhood is that it cannot be the same design as any other house in this neighborhood. And in fact, 
they are encouraged to find unique flourishes for each design. They're not afraid to add some character. They're not afraid to alienate some people to really inspire and excite other people. You know, I'm a fan of James Victoria, and he talks about really often this foundational creative principle, which uh, you've probably heard, but it, it, we have to just keep remembering what this means and, and how to practice it. And, and here it is. It's, in the particular lies the universal. Here's what I think that means in practice. You know, I'm a f- big fan of Hannah Gadsby, and she has a whole special about uh, being diagnosed autistic. And that really, really speaks to me. But I'm not autistic. I've never been diagnosed on the spectrum. Why does that really speak to me? It really speaks to me because I know what it's like to be non-neurotypical. But I bet it also speaks to my, my cousin who has a kid who's on the spectrum. Like when you get into the specificity of your experience, your creative work gets really, really rich and it doesn't alienate doesn't make it alien, it makes it human. And so do not be afraid to add character flourishes to your creative work. Quick summary, number one is take an open plan to developing your creative identity. Don't look for the perfect fit. Look for something you can work with, something you can build, something that you can own and make your own. Tear down some of those non-structural walls. And if if there's load-bearing walls in this identity that you can't live with it, okay. You, need, you can't identify that way, but, but don't let imperfections stop you from developing your creative identity. Number two, identity is a thing. A thing is a noun. You know, brand is about association, this thing associating with that thing. It's not just about adjectives and descriptions. Make sure you can associate with a couple of nouns or a few nouns. Number three, embrace the conflict. Conflict is interesting. Mash it up. Identities are mash-ups. Number four, realize that nouns are not the end-all be-all. They're just a foundation that you're building on. Don't be afraid to clearly define what that is. It will not go on to define you in your fullness. It's just a place to build from. Number five is character is a good thing. Add character flourishes. Don't worry about alienating people. Worry about humanizing you. That's the summary. Now, I want to end this episode in kind of a weird way that that I don't think we've ever uh, ended an episode in in this way. But I want to tell you a story because this is a story that uh, I feel like really fully illustrates the most important part about building an identity and saying yes to that creative journey. 
because yes, I do think it will help you have a more successful creative career, but I think this process of knowing yourself will actually give you an even bigger prize in the end that matters so much more. And I can't think of a better way to tell you about that than through this story. But be sure to stick it out to the end because the last part is the key that will make it all make sense. All right, here we go. There once was a girl who longed to be a famous warrior. She would watch the townspeople cheer as they celebrated the local monster slayer. Wow, she thought, it must feel so amazing to be that well-known. But then one day, the hero she worshipped so much went to slay the meanest, nastiest beast that had ever walked the earth and had been wreaking total havoc on the townspeople. But alas, instead of slaying the monster, he, in fact, was the one who was slain. On that very day, the girl knew that she must train and train and train and one day take down that terrible beast. Then, for certain, there will be no one as well known as I. As she trained, she discovered her hidden secret powers, then starting with the smallest terrible beasts and working her way up to the most massive, horrifying monster, she fought and destroyed each one. All along the way, she discovered her strengths and, more importantly, her weaknesses. Years passed, painful they were. The girl became a woman, and when her strength knew no match, it was time to take on the purpose of her path. It was time to take on the beast. When I destroy the one who destroyed my hero, I will be even more well-known than he. And it will feel so amazing to be that well-known. She prepared. She traveled. She stood before the abomination and raised her sword to the sky and said, Come, beast, she taunted. She lunged. She slashed. She was winning. And just as she saw her opening to make the final cut, the beast grabbed her with its enormous talons and smashed her into the soil. And again, and again, and again. And then lying in that dirt, our hero felt unable to even lift one limb. (sighs) How foolish it was to go on this stupid journey, she whispered to herself. Now I will never be well known. Ha! Be well known, the monster called back surprisingly. No one even knew he could talk. You didn't even know yourself enough to know that you couldn't stop me. (laughs) But then it hit her. The beast was wrong. She did know herself. She knew herself very well. She knew from a previous battle that had nearly been her end long ago that she had an inner reservoir of strength hidden within her, and she knew how to access it. She stood up. She knew from the battle with the sea monster that she was at her best when she used the beast's momentum against 
themselves. She taunted the beast and the beast turned around and came barreling after her. She knew herself so well from the fight with the forest devil, exactly how high she could leap and that if she timed it just right, she could leap onto the monster's back and slay him with one last slash. She left, she slashed, she won and she cheered, but she did not return to her town or her town's people. She decided instead to go out and find monsters that were terrorizing other towns and slay those monsters. And she didn't need anyone to know about it either. Because this battle had shown her that she'd already found what she had set out to find at the beginning. With every step and every battle, our hero discovered new layers of herself and became acquainted with herself at the deepest of levels. She really knew herself and it really did feel amazing to be that well known. Did you get it? it? Instead of monster slaying, it's art. <laughs> A lot of us start making art to be well-known, but as we make art, we find ourselves and we know ourselves. Do you get it? You got it. Uh, I think it's true. I do think that the most satisfying thing uh, that comes from your creative practice is you just really get to know yourself on deeper levels than you ever thought were possible the further you go. And it is super satisfying. And I find myself the longer I go in my creative journey, the less I need affirmation. You know, when I make something, I think this is good. Like I like other people being like, yeah, it is good. But I, I'm in tune with my own taste and I know if I like it. And that is what matters most for me. Uh, so I hope that this uh, journey for creative identity is really helpful for you. I got a little bit of homework. We're going to do an activity called You on a Pizza. We've talked about on this show before this idea of you on a plate. Gordon Ramsay, one of my favorite, probably my favorite celebrity chef, would talk about when, when someone on MasterChef would bring him a dish and he's like, this is you on a plate. It's like got your dad's southern roots, but it's got your mom's upscale New York dining and you've fused it in a way that's so unique to you. You're the only thing in this little Venn diagram. This is you on a plate. Well, we're going to do you on a pizza in the spirit of my new book, a pizza with everything on it, go to creativepeptalk.com slash pizza pizza. There's a bunch of links. You can buy the book wherever you like to buy your books. And you can also download an Instagram stories template with a slice of pizza. And I want you to go put some nouns on that pizza. Now in our book, uh, th there's anything you can imagine on the pizza. The White House is on the pizza. There's penguins on the pizza. There's a hydron collider on the pizza. And so you can put anything on this pizza. And I want you to tell the world, what does you on a pizza look like? Tell something about your creative identity to the world by putting yourself on a pizza.
hey, I really appreciate all of you and uh, and all the love and support uh, for the show over the years. I try not to make any big asks from the community. I want to ask as little as I can and give as much as I possibly can. Uh, you know, every single week I'm trying to rack my brain and I record and re-record and rewrite and outline and research and all that stuff. And I try to make the best possible thing that I can deliver week in and week out. And, and I do it because I, I genuinely care about creative people. Uh, and, and that means I don't want to ask a ton in return, but I do want to ask for your support and I do want to ask you to go get a copy or get a few copies if you can of the new book, A Pizza With Everything On It, that was uh, illustrated by me, written by Kyle Sheely. I'm so proud of this book and I want you to get it, not just because I, I, I want this book to do well, but because I freaking love this thing and I want you to hold it and see it. It's probably uh, the piece of creative work that I'm more proud of than anything I've ever made. So uh, go check it out. Go, You can go get a copy at creativepeptalk.com slash pizza pizza. All the links there to, to get it online. I so, so appreciate it. And if you could spread the word, you know, when you get your copy, do a, a post about it and share it and, and gift it, I would just, it would mean the world to me. Um, I, I'm going to do everything I can to really get this thing out there because I freaking love this book. Okay. Thank you. That's my sales pitch for a pizza with everything on it. Thanks to Yoni Wolf for making the theme music of this podcast. Thanks to Alex Sugg for the soundtrack. Thanks to Sophie Pizza and uh, Apple Boy Ryan Appleton for content assistance and assistance with the sponsorship. And thanks to Kolu Podcast Network for, for making this thing possible. Thanks to Jordan Aaron for editing the show so beautifully. And until we speak again, stay pepped up.